I just want a cup of tea. Well, what does the map say? Uh, It's not loading properly. Perhaps you're holding it upside down? It's a phone. You can't hold it upside down. Wait, I recognise those voices. I'm sorry, sir. There must be some mistake. There's no way you could have heard our voices before. We're normals. Our voices are undistinguished and generic. We're just three British people walking down this street in Canada. No, 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 no. That's not true. You're so much more than that. You're... The Oodcast! I think you just spelled podcast wrong. I'm so sorry. We had to wipe your memory to save you from Chris Chibnall's writing, but now it's safe to bring you back. What are you talking about? (sighs) Suitcase. Macaramel. Sphere. Song. Moth. Chip. Blue. Rose. Bechamel. Susurration, bum, metaphor, news, haiku, troc, Disney, money, bum again, murka, murka, murka. Oh my gosh, I remember everything. These things we're holding, they're not metal ice creams, they're microphones. We're podcasters. We've been podcasters this whole time. Thank you, Stephen Schapansky from Radio Free Scarrow. We'll never be able to repay you. No problem. But quiet now. We have a show to record. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Oodcast, the podcast that celebrates the boundless joy of Doctor Who with laughter, discussion and song. We are very, very happy to be back. My name is Chris Mead, and with me today is the wonderful, the exceptional, the tiny Chris Foston. Hooray! <laughs> Hello! <laughs> Hello! Was I'm very happy to voice? be back. No, no, it was just my it tiny voice. tiny voice. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I have a range sense. of them. Just don't ask me to do any big voices. Uh, okay. <laughs> Can you do minuscule? Short. That's just me. You're, you're just being rude. Oh, now. yeah. <laughs> also, the minuscule one sounded like they were straining for a poo. Wow. Oh, a tiny well, little poo. <laughs> this That is why I never record with my camera on. <laughs> <laughs> and next to Christopher, um, who already breaking the rules by talking before being introduced, is my <laughs> wonderful wife, Laura Mead, who's obviously much more than just my wife. But that is one identifier that I have. I break her. all the rules. You do? Yes, I do. Well, we're we're back after I think the last we did a tiny little episode during the pandemic, and then the one before that was 
in 2020. So it's been basically three years since we've done this. So I thought it might be worth very quickly asking how everyone is. Um, Laura, how are you? Do you want me to answer honestly? I think so. I think as honest as you want to. Well, um, I burnt out at work, so I'm currently off work trying to rebuild my shattered brain. Um, but, you know, I'm making progress, so um, everything's moving in a direction. I think you're making great progress. I yeah. don't think you'd have been able to do this podcast like four weeks ago. Oh, no, no, I probably couldn't. Um, I developed like a really bad stutter that tends to come out when I'm stressed about things. And I was stressed the whole time. But luckily, this makes me really excited. So um, I'm not stressed at all and can actually speak. And I understand that is the main news. But if you think about when we were last on, there might be another bit of news that you might want to tell everyone about. Oh, what you mean the tiny fluffy dog who's sitting on our lap? Who's half sitting on our lap? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we got a wee puppy. His name is Radio. Radio Harold Mead. He is adorable and kind of the centre of both our worlds in that sort of delightful child-free way <laughs> that, that certain couples get to. We tried not to be a cliche about it, didn't we? We totally failed. The one we, we failed on every point except that <laughs> I've never referred to myself as dad. Because That's I feel true. like that is a step too far for me personally. Yes, you're his big friend. I'm his big friend. He's but... definitely part of the family, but he's not a son. <laughs> let's let's be very clear on that. <laughs> I did not birth this dog. Do you want to say something, bud? Anything at all? Just like a howl? He's just waiting for the postman. Then he'll then he'll have a lot to say. Okay, great. Christopher, how are Hello. you? I am. Um quite well thank you yeah so in three years (laughs) just summarize we we bought a house amazing we live in a house well we sort of live in a it's kind of a flat but it's you know it's nice we have a nice view we have now a seven-year-old child which is big and scary and uh, are you saying he's big and scary or it's big and scary that 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 you are a father of a seven-year-old but he's probably more um, hmm. odorous than scary, but you know what? Um, it's just—he's a seven-year-old boy. All boys are quite smelly, I think. How old uh, is the littlest doctor now? I was trying to work out how to get around to saying that he has just turned eighteen. <gasps> what? No. Does and he still has... run down the street as if he's the doctor uh, crouching every uh, after every driveway? I, I don't think I've seen him run for about five years. <laughs> um. <laughs> He has, uh, yeah, he has way more hair on his chin than I ha- have on my head, I think. Um, he's nearly six foot tall. He, he's, he's doing well, but he is no longer a littlest doctor, which is quite frightening all on its own. I've got a slightly more busy job that's terrifying and puts me in charge of things. And you great. Know, apart from that, everything's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. How are you, Christopher? I'm very well. Um, I guess most of my news has been said already by Laura one way or the other. I Was I doing improv full-time when we last met? Maybe not. So, uh, so I will say this, that now I don't have an office job at all. All I do is perform and teach improvised comedy and theatre around London and the world, which is very nice. Um, so I really enjoyed that. 
That is excellent. Uh, that was an update for people who are regular listeners. If you were turn it, tuning in for the first time, that probably meant nothing to anyone. So we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll stop that there and start talking about this wonderful television series, Doctor Who, which is what we are here to talk about. And we will start with this question. Russell T. Davis is back at the helm of the show. What do we think about that fact, Christopher Foston? I think it's, um, I mean, it's not fresh, but it, it's like a breath of fresh air to me. Mm. It's exciting in a different way again. And it feels, oh, I don't want this to sound in any way rude about anything that's gone before, but it feels boundless again. It feels like there's no limit again, which is extremely exciting to me. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing to say. I think there are different eras of the programme and different eras will appeal to different people, uh, different kinds of people at different times. Um, and it just, this feels like home and it feels like a Doctor Who that many people fell in love with mm. is back, which I think is mm. really amazing. Laura, what, uh, what were you thinking? Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry, yeah. Christopher. No, no, it's, it's fine. I, I just, um, I was going to agree with you and say, actually, I was quite surprised at how much when David Tennant walked out of the TARDIS, I thought, oh, I've missed you. Yeah. That yeah. took me by surprise. But yeah. And I think, I mean, we'll get onto this, I think, in in a little bit. Uh, but David Tennant, he's changed a lot. Or, or I've seen him look very, very different over the last 15 years. Uh, and he's really put some time into looking like an older version of the 10th Doctor, as opposed mm. to just an older David Tennant. Mm. Um, and I think that's really nice. It, it allows that transition. Um, and Catherine Tate hasn't aged at all, which is... It's good. Like that must have been really helpful for the production team. Just been cryogenically frozen <laughs> for the past fifteen years. Uh what did you think, Luz? RTD back. I whenever I hear him talk about the show, I get this sense of sort of warmth and gentleness and excitement. And that's sort of how I felt watching the programme as well. It was very it, it felt like a lovely hug, but like a hug that lifts you up a bit like um, Rafiki lifts up Simba at the start of The Lion King. You know, just like, oh, I'm going to lift you over the, this this fence and show you, show you everything that we can do when we have a buttload of money and um, and so much joy and enthusiasm for our source material. And I think that this first story coming back in the star beast the fact that there is such a deep deep connection with a lot of the lore and history of the extended universe all the comics everything allows allows just more and more ideas to be put together it's like um like paper mache you know is it like paper mache yeah. how yeah. is it like paper mache well they're t they're pulling from everything from all like the big finish books from the from the maybe even from podcasts who knows but there's so much input are you saying it's like a big mulch now. all mulched together it's mulched together but the mulching creates something that is more exciting as a result of like being paper mulched. mache like paper mache yeah most exciting of all sculpting <laughs> materials <laughs> definitely not something that you just put on a balloon and then pop the balloon that's how i first learned how to do that was the most amazing paper thing mache. <laughs> just make a Sort of weird sphere 
I'm going to pick up on the RTD talking about the show thing. I know it's not the show itself, but every time he comes on and he takes a, a shot at transphobes or he talks about, about why Davros uh, shouldn't be a wheelchair user anymore because the way that we think about, uh, the way society thinks uh, has moved on and so the show has to move on, that tradition isn't the most important thing, that being relevant in the modern world is the most important thing and the not being mean to the most amount of people is the most important thing, not just slavishly sticking with what's come before. And you can tell he's just reaching out to a section of the fan base when he's doing that. I read a Guardian article saying he is he is extending a hand to a certain extent. He's being very the doctor. He's giving everyone a last chance. He's saying, this is where the show's going. Mm. This is the politics of the show. And politics with a small p uh, being about hope and love and inclusion and diversity. So get back on board. Otherwise, f*** off! Uh, and I think that's amazing to see that he's doing that in such a beautiful, eloquent way. Mm. Well, it's just, it's one of those things when Chris Chibnall was running it, there was a blackout, I think. I don't know, it, it created more of a vacuum for things to feel like a disappointment, whereas Russell's always there kind of promoting things, which makes things more exciting. And it, yeah, having a cheerleader like that is brilliant. He's he's such a good person to talk about the show. He's so passionate and and. I mean, he's just fun to listen to as well. That it, I mean, I've seen interviews with him on straight, you, you know, news programs as well as Newsround and the One Show, and he's been brilliant there, on Chris. everything. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. He's, uh, uh, it was he's, a descriptor for the programs rather he is than not him. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a consummate yeah. showman. Really well, I think excellent. there's there's nothing better than hearing somebody talk about something that they love. And from that, we can seamlessly segue into talking about, well, the whole enchilada, the whole, this first episode of everything coming back. This is a, a bit of inside baseball for the listener here. Um, I have crafted a podcast script. Now, a podcast script is just the sort of questions we're going to go through, the kind of topics. And it was my hope by creating this script that we would be able to move, uh, sort of address a lot of the big issues that the the episode brings up. What Laura has done is just <laughs> introduced <laughs> something that what wasn't on the script at all. Well, what what you've done, what, what you're saying is you crafted this episode out of paper mache, and then Laura's just Laura's popped your balloon popped. and then scrunched your structure together. Alpha, that was <laughs> such a really good, wonderful <laughs> bringing everything back together. This is why we pay you the big bucks. I'd like to talk about the 14th Doctor and uh, the difference between the 14th Doctor and the 10th Doctor. He is different mm. in some ways. So what remained the same? What changed? What were we glad remained the same? What were we glad changed? And even the opposite, like what are we like not sure about about this new face and this slightly new personality? I feel like this Doctor doesn't need to be the centre of the room quite so much as the 10th mm. there were a few instances where he just heads off and does some grunt work at the side so he bandages up the meep's hand without making a big song and dance about it he heads upstairs in the steelworks to 
start analysing trajectory patterns and things like that. And he skulks, doesn't yeah, he? He, he skulks he's, in the background. He's on the fringes. He's not in the middle of the room making it all about him. Old Shirley Bingham has to find him holed up at the back of the steelworks. He's sort of sitting cross-legged, isn't he? Working on his new sonic screwdriver screen, which we'll get to. Oh my gosh, that's I amazing. Know, what an interesting application of that. Like, Are we going to get to it? Before? It's not on the script. Oh yeah, good point, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an improviser. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Um, yes, uh, yeah, you're abs- I love that. There's also this lovely bit where he he hoists himself up into the back of the unit jeep without anyone knowing he's even mm. there, just to go with them, but without... I think the 10th Doctor would have strode in, as you say, Lars, taken mm. uh, authority and ordered everyone. He just sort of twirls into the back and pulls up the... Uh, the yeah. back plate thing. It, it's cool. as if he's aware that this isn't. He's he's sort of walking into someone else's territory. Clearly, yeah. I mean Shirley is like she's the scientific advisor. It's not him. It used to be him. So he's he sort of it, it felt uncharacteristically for the tenth Doctor and most of the other Doctors. He was quite sensitive about that and mm. didn't want to shake that thing. I think he's quite seems quite cautious about reengaging with Unit in general when. Davis talks about this. He says that it's still the Doctor and his return to that face and that personality, but it's that mm. personality having lived the lives yeah. of Matt of Matt Smith's Doctor, of Peter Capaldi's Doctor, of Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. So the Doctor is older, just as David Tennant is older, uh, and they and obviously they fuse those two things together. So we get an older, wiser, more settled Doctor. And I think that's why he doesn't have to be the center of attention because the 10th doctor acted out and acted cheery because he was broken, Mm -hmm. right? He was Mm -hmm. the first one after the ninth who was the real survivor of the time war and he was still broken. Um, And now he's not. So it's like, it's a healed 10th doctor, a different, a different version, but uh, sprung directly from the last, which I love. What a great way of doing it. What, what, not ignoring it, but sort of elevating that performance. I feel like there's a whole thing that, that ev- everyone on the crew, the cast, they're like, we get a second chance at doing this. The first time we were trying to establish the show. We were trying to st- struggle with a budget that the BBC didn't want to give us. Mm. Uh, we did our best, but we were we were rising as as Donna mm. descends, they were rising at that point. At this point, they're on top of the world, essentially. So here's what we can do uh, with that extra experience and that extra budget. Well, I think there's a difference, isn't there, between building the show up to get to the height that it reached and then keeping it there, and whether or not you feel the show has been was successful at staying at that level. Mm. There's a, I think we've reached a point where Russell's come back in and the attitude is more right. There's no going back. We've reached this point. Let's run with it. Yeah. Which does feel weirdly very 10th Doctor at the same time. Yeah, um, and absolutely. it's really, I mean, it's joyful to see a different side of the same character. It's such a nice contrast to the kind of changes, you, the, the, the sort of axes people bring in when they they start a show. But it's sort of a really sensitive return to familiar ground to kind of start things off again. It's yeah. I I really liked seeing him do it. Me too. It's interesting that you used the word sensitive because there was 
there was something that felt like a little bit of a bum note to me mm. during this episode. Like and this. Uh... <laughs> what do you mean his bum note? Oh, um, David Tennant's bum note. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> or don't. Uh, no, uh, it was... He's petrified that Donna is going to, like, oh, I'm going to use the phrase burn out again. Hey, Tyson, Tyson, where is Burn up. Burn up. Um, and he doesn't understand why he's back. He doesn't understand why he has the same face or has been pulled in this direction other than some weird cosmic twisting of fate. And he's justifiably really petrified that he's going to have to watch his friend die. And yet, when he comes to her house, he's pretty blasé about, oh, yeah, another two-hearted thing. Oh, did I mean that as a metaphor? And just keeps dropping all of these conversational nuggets in about how, you know, oh, oh, I'm just like, there are very many plausible things that somebody with a sort of a galactic level intelligence could have said to get away with that and to avoid the the various but i wonder if it was just the character falling back into those patterns of familiarity and joint operation that was a really lovely moment where he finishes putting together the uh electroshock resistant glass glass, screens glass screen thing and just sort of tosses his screwdriver over his shoulder where donna catches it automatically and hangs on to it so that he can get on with doing the next thing. And it was that sort of seamless movement that you might get from a group of pit mechanics in F1 of like, yeah, no, they've got it. I'll I'll keep doing this. From a duo that obviously haven't been operating together for, well, 15 years plus. Well, longer in his case, because he's lived and died five times in between now and then. But I did I did think that was a little bit confusing. Um, I think he just wants it as much as the viewers do. Mm. He, he 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 knows it's dangerous. He just wants to push it just a little bit further all the time because it feels so good. I probably something yeah. like that. The doctor is intelligent, but he is not wise always. <laughs> <laughs> good point. I think I think he's he's just as dumb as the rest of us sometimes when it comes to friendship or wanting something. Maybe I don't know. This might be a good time. Just a very quick, we have talked about the increased budget. Do you think the Disney money is right up there on the screen? Chris Foston. Yes. Great. Next question. Hell, <laughs> hell yes. Hell yes. Yeah. I mean, from the from the opening credits onwards, that would that just looked bigger. It was, so and, and when I, when I, so I watched it twice. I watched it once on Saturday night and once yesterday afternoon. Um, with and the second time with our seven-year-old Rowan, and the first thing he said was, "Oh, this is cool," and that was just the credits. Mm. He really loved seeing the TARDIS flying through the vortex. Oh, it's beautiful! It was like some kind of gorgeous, luminous oil painting. Oh, I loved mm. it. On iPlayer, it's broadcast a new kind of HDR that the BBC have developed with a Japanese television company. And it turns out our TV can render it in that wider color gamut with uh, better blacks. And, oh, my gosh, it looks better than anything I've seen on that yeah. TV. Yeah, it's like pre-Raphaelite heaven 
beautiful. And yeah, and it is up there all the way through. And it's not just the special effects. I think sometimes when people talk about budgets, it is mostly, is the CGI better? But Mm. it's stuff like when they're in the street, there's loads more extras than there used to be, which just in your brain, you go, oh, this isn't the BBC struggling to show Camden Market. This is just Mm. Camden Market. It's just the fact that there's more people around. Uh, It's the level of co-stars that they can afford. It's Mm. um, the camera movement, the way, you know, the the camera is freer. It's It's just on a better scale. The Meep's rocket ship, the quality of that set, the internal control room, was so good that I bet, Chris... Ten pounds that it was the new TARDIS set. Yes, so there's a picture <laughs> wow. of Russell T. Davis in the latest Doctor Who magazine, uh, and he's just standing in what turned out to be the Meep spaceship set. And Laura's mm. like, "I bet that's the new TARDIS." And I was like, "Laura, they've made a point of not releasing any pictures of the new set. Do you think they have accidentally released one in the background of the biggest <laughs> Doctor Who publication?" I was like, "Yes, I bet you ten pounds that that is the new TARDIS set." So I now have enough money. I mean, but it was awesome. It was like it. an Ableton music thing had sex with the Chrysler building. It was incredible as a set. <laughs> meep, meep. I've had an idea for a new kind of spaceship. Hooray! That's wonderful news, Chief Engineer of all meeps. Write this down, Darren. I want to call it the double-bladed dagger drive. Oh... That sounds needlessly violent. Make it so that it destroys everything in a five-mile radius whenever it takes off. Gosh, I wonder if that's such a good idea. I want a shiny, bulbous control room with lots of buttons. Now we're talking. And I don't want any of the controls grouped together. Oh? I want people to have to run backwards and forwards across the room to accomplish even the simplest task. Well, I suppose that promotes good cardiovascular health. Seriously, I want a lot of the main controls to be way above head height. Okay. For no reason. And Darren... Yes, Chief? Make it so there's an unbreakable plexiglass screen that comes down and divides the control room in half whenever it's in flight. But that'll make normal operation of the ship impossible. Exactly, Darren. Exactly! And there's literally no reason to do it. Don't question me, Darren. I'm riffing here. I'm in the zone. I'm sure it will force an interesting narrative decision for someone at some point. You know, now that I think about it, our son is looking way more psychedelical than normal. Darren, make all the cup holders too small to fit any reasonably sized cup. But then, of course, you see... (gasps) the inside of the new TARDIS and it's just beautiful Mm. it's so beautiful it made me feel like um gosh I've always loved light filled spaces and especially colored light filled spaces the place where I went to university had a chapel that was essentially a kaleidoscope And the entire building was round and every single pane of glass was a different shade of, well, a different color. And so depending on the time of day that you were in there, you'd be bathed in different hues of light. Mm -hmm. And that's the sort of vibe that I got from this. 
And we've got some Philips Hue bulbs, haven't we? Oh, we do. That's where that's where all the money went. That's yeah. where the whole budget went. You're putting yeah. in like... Hue bulbs. There's <laughs> someone with one kind of iPhone being like, oh no, red alert, and having to turn everything over. That's like a whole job now, I expect. <laughs> Yeah, it's an amazing set. Yeah. That uh, that scene when he runs round and the lights move, that that took them six months to film because they were changing hue light bulbs between every take. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, well that's where all the Disney money went. Apparently he did do it eight times. And yeah, I read that By too. the end of it was like, oh, yes, I am 51 now. Maybe I can't run. <laughs> and it was his idea to run around the set yeah. as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and, uh, on top of all of that, the Meep itself, I think, was a was one place you could see the the new budget as well, because that wasn't just a bloke in a suit, no. and it wasn't just CGI. It was animatronics, which mm. made such a difference because it didn't look like it was parachuted in. It didn't look rubbish. Mm. It wasn't a bloke in a suit at all. It was mm. Cecily Faye. Okay, Cecily a person Faye. in a suit. Sorry. <laughs> Ah, just the, the most amazing, amazing, beautiful set and wheelchair accessible. So do mm. we think we might see Shirley into the TARDIS at some point? Or it's just giving the the option that they will always... It's The TARDIS should be accessible, shouldn't it? You thought so. Yeah. I have a feeling she'll be very nonplussed about, about the whole thing. Of course she will. She'll yeah. just... She'll scoot in. Oh, all right, here we go. Uh, where are we? Where are we headed? Ruth Madeley is amazing and has worked with Russell a lot, right? Mm. As well, yeah. she's in years and years, and she's in something else as well that I thought she was amazing in, which I shouldn't have brought up because I can't remember what it is. But every time I've seen her, she's been brilliant. <laughs> it, it would be strange if she's brought into the cast just for what we saw her do in that episode. She's well, we too know you, good, I think. Back. Tonight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we talked a little bit about representation. I'd like to talk about Rose Noble. What do we think of her? Oh, I liked it. Mm. I thought she was um, great. Somebody, was it you, uh, Alf, who used the phrase like bait and switch? No. <laughs> Use it now. <laughs> Uh, well, just that maybe you, it echoes back in time. Yes, that you you don't know that she's going to be that sort of part of the triptych of Doctor Donna Rose, and that's sort of concealed. And you think that she's just going to be spirited away by her father and her grandmother, and you don't know that she's going to get the opportunity to save herself. But essentially, that's what that character has already had to do as in as part of their lives. They've had to make decisions to. Be, become a more real version of themselves and then at the end she says oh I'm finally me mm. has she decided that she's non-binary at that stage because that was a bit that I wasn't quite sure of because there was like the doctor and Donna are binary and I'm non-binary I'm binary I'm neither and I'm more um, but she uses she her pronouns um, so I wasn't sure because obviously non-binary people do sometimes use binary pronouns um, or it could be that she's been using them up to that point. But when the full extent of her Time Lord heritage uh, happens, she decides that she is non-binary at that point. I don't know. I think it's an interesting concept to chew over. Hmm. And, and, I, and I like that it sort of harks back to, well, the Doctor is male, female and 
and more and both and neither and neither <laughs> yeah and i and i like that we that that's a whole new dimension that we get to experience etsy reviews for user noble beasts purchased item troclophane wow this is just ingenious on the outside it's a shiny silver ball but then it unzips to reveal a tiny wizened head with cool wiring. I really appreciate the spike, blade saw and laser additions. It's like someone made a clutch bag out of a Swiss army knife. An essential accessory for a night on the town. Five stars. Purchased item. The silence. I actually don't remember ordering this. How funny. I'm looking at the toy as I write and the crafting really is exquisite. Pale grey wall rendering an almost skull-like face, stretching its jaws to scream in endless torment. Let me just put it down. Hmm, um, I'm not sure why I'm writing this. Uh, I've never ordered anything from this vendor. Oh, look at its little face! Nope, I, I have no idea why I'm here. It's so soft with a quality feel. Wish I could remember why I started typing. Five stars, no stars. Purchased item, Dalek. This is great, although quite temperamental. It's super tactile, with the smooth bumps and the handy protuberances. However, it refuses to be taken upstairs. The moment I reach the bottom of the staircase, it becomes absolutely immovable and quite shouty, ordering me to return to my ship, whatever that is. Has come in very handy when the downstairs toilets got blocked, though. Four stars. Can't give it five, as it's twice attempted to exterminate my cat. I mean, my cat is a nosy little sod, but I have to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, it certainly felt more positive than just, I don't know, just putting the character in as a female character without addressing it at all feels patronising on the one hand, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so it was... It's one of those things that um, will obviously irritate a, a group the of right people. The right people? Yeah. But <laughs> it, it is, again, it's another reflection of how things have changed outside and should be reflected in what we're seeing. And it's, I mean, you could say something similar about Ruth Madeley being in it. The, the fact that she potentially could be a major part of this storyline. And something is I interesting. loved. It was a very, very small thing. But the reason that Shirley was not taken over by the psychedelic son was because she couldn't go up the steps mm -hmm. because she's a wheelchair user. So it was a superpower. It meant that that saved her from being taken over. I just liked that. Well, it was also mm. that there was a brilliant line. Don't make me the problem. Get in there. Yeah. yeah. It's the social model of disability, everyone. It's society that makes people dis disabled by not allowing for access. Which, well, yeah, yeah, and well, right. and it's also pre it's also preventing able people using it as a reason or as a, as an excuse to not do something. Yeah, um, it's it, amazing. Or, yeah, I, I'm really so impressed in on so many ways, and I've seen a few people talk about it as cheesy or unneeded, but I'm like, no, Russell, if you feel something, shout it at the top of your lungs with your eloquent voice. I love yeah. it. I'm here for it. I've you know I, I've I've seen mostly positive responses to it all and you know the negative ones i've seen are so ridiculous you know the kind of 
but she's in a wheelchair. How can she use her legs? And like, oh, for goodness sake. Mm-hmm. Kind of the, the, the extreme end of things. So just actually, maybe that just doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. The, the, the level of ignorance to think that everyone in a wheelchair has exactly the same problem yeah. is mind numbing. Well, I mean, the show was originally posited as this is something by which we educate people and it's still doing that. So I have one more thing I want to talk about, which is this is an adaptation of the classic 70s comic strip from Doctor Who Weekly, also called The Star Beast, Mm. starring the fourth Doctor. Have either of you read it? No. No. I have. I read it just before I watched the the show. So can I just very quickly talk about it as a piece of adaptive material? Well, was it a good adaptation, Chris? Yes, I mean, obviously it was amazing. So he took the central part of it; it was completely the same, uh, and he uh, and he in, inserted the noble family into it, and obviously gave it a new ending because you know the 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 ending couldn't be the meta crisis because that wasn't a thing. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. Um, the meep is exactly the same, beautifully rendered. I mean, much even better in this version, I think because Miriam Margulies is incredible. <laughs> um, and the other yeah. thing is... Uh, yeah, that was her own fur. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there is something that the kids are calling Goblin Core. And I think Miriam Margulies sort of exemplifies that, really. It's goblin Core? <laughs> Look online. That's, that was good. Um, a, a change that he made that I thought was really interesting was the... Roth warriors are also kind of nasty in the comic. So here's what they do to get the meep. They knock out the doctor, operate on him, <laughs> install a bomb in his stomach, and then send him off to find the meep. And the doctor <laughs> foils that plan by ripping lead off the roof of Fudge's mum's house and wrapping it around him. So I really like that they've gone... Yeah, that instead the Roth are monstrous to look at. We think they're monstrous with their big claws, but they are absolutely a lawful good in terms mm. of their alignment. And I think that's a much cleaner, better story. You know, we just assume they're baddies because they're not like us, but their guns are stun guns and they're not doing anything that would harm the local population as much as possible. And they don't yeah. chase a frightened child. Yeah, they don't. Because yeah, like... there's nothing to be gained by that. It's not part of their mission. They don't want to scare mm. people accidentally. Right, cadets. Today we are going to be learning the Cunning Wrath attack formation. This is a secret battle formation used by generations of Wrath warriors to some success. It is a highly confidential method which you will not Discuss with anyone outside of your units. Understood? Very well then. What I want you to do is position yourselves in a straight line. Not quite so close, chaps. The secret to this is to sort of stand loosely side by side. Not touching, no, no. Really fill the available space. Um, sir? Yes, Cadet Zuth. Won't that just maximise the target area we're presenting, sir? Well... That, that is a point of view, certainly. What's the other point of view, sir? Tradition. 
<laughs> tradition and death. Well, that's as maybe, but it's how I was trained. That's how my father was trained and my grandfather. Weren't they both killed in battle, though, sir? Class dismissed. So that's the big change. And of course, I really enjoyed that Fudge is still called Fudge because it makes no sense. It sort of makes sense as a 70s comic Bash Street Kids kind of name, but it makes no <laughs> sense in, in, in modern times. And yet he's still called Fudge, <laughs> which is excellent. I know. So I have been thinking since I uh, since Saturday that I should read it. I'm sure I have it somewhere. It's one of these things I've never got around to. But Big Finish did a version of it as well. Mm. a few years ago that I've not heard either. So it would be interesting to go and investigate that too and see how, well, it's probably faithful to the comic strip, I would imagine. Yeah, so Big Finish be would, would be exactly the same. Mm. There's also a, a, a few sensitivity things uh, in the original. The the sun that makes everyone evil is a black sun. So oh, uh, I right. think steering away from like, that side of things i love the idea that it's a psychedelic sun that turns you mad and there's that mm. beautiful line about a mad sun you know that shines down on the meep and turns them all mm. um, evil yeah because I... they weren't intrinsically bad they've been affected by their atmosphere mm. I, I think you know it the meep is just the latest in a long line of who characters who exemplify that whole idea of don't judge a book by its cover. I mean, you've got everything from the adipose who were cute, but, you know, killed people. They weren't evil themselves. Well, they only killed people because they were people. Exactly. Yeah. And In the same way Soylent Green are people. The Pating, obviously, very cute. <laughs> there's just like, there's a host of cute but deadly Doctor Who And monstrous and... but good. Yeah. Mm, just like one of them. I can't think of any on the top of my head, but I know there's loads. It was um, something that I read recently, which was people don't owe you beauty. The world doesn't owe you beauty. Something is not worthless because it is ugly. And you shouldn't expect everything to be aesthetically pleasing the whole time, including, you know, beings. So let's make room. Let's make room for every everything, everyone. I agree, but... Radio has taken exactly this moment to lay his chin on my hand and is looking <laughs> the most cute of any dog who's ever been. Okay, it doesn't necessarily apply to puppies. Joy, good boy. Joy, good boy. Good boy. Good boy. Look at the little face. Little face. This is the haiku for the Star Beast. Pasts are catching up as furry evil escapes. Child benefits win. Ah, oh, great. Yeah. Uh, the Tories. <laughs> Amazing. So that is our review of the Star Beast. We thought it was a good boy. Um, <laughs> before we go, I am going to keep this section that we introduced, which is what is making us feel Good. Can we tell you what's making us feel good this week? So, Christopher, what is making you feel good this week? 
Uh, well, I, I could choose one of several things, including what I think you're going to talk about. Um, yes, because you. But I, I will let you do that. What I will talk about is something that I probably could have done a year or two ago, in that I finally watched the last few episodes of Brooklyn Nine Nine last night. Oh, we haven't. So yet. I've finally seen that. I won't give it away, but it was uh, the last two episodes in particular managed that kind of sadness, joy balance really beautifully and it was brilliant and it, it just filled me with so much happiness um that it, you know that and doctor who this weekend made a very good weekend so yeah brooklyn 99 the final season is as excellent as all the rest of it and manages a finale brilliantly good recommendation and something that we can take advantage of totes loz how about you um Right now, you can't see it, but I'm wearing my Udi. That's true. You are you are wearing an Udi. <laughs> the weather has got noticeably colder in the UK over the past couple of weeks. And so now I can basically wear a duvet crossed with a jumper. And I can legitimately wear it all the time. And my one's really cool. And it's got avocados and toast on it because, you know, I'm a millennial. and um, Barely. I am. I am so. <laughs> and yeah, it's just very comfortable and snuggly, and it's also called a nudie, which you know why? Why not? The Oodcast remains unsponsored, proudly unsponsored. <laughs> but I would say, if Oodies wanted to sponsor us, that we would consider that one, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, I probably. Think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so for for me, um, my. Uh, my recommendation comes from Chris Foston because he recommended them to me. Uh, it turned out I already had a copy of the book uh, because one of my friends had bought it for me, but I hadn't read it uh, until you gave your recommendation. Uh, it's part of the Monk and Robot series by Becky Chambers, and it's called A Psalm for the Wild Built. And it is about a non-binary monk whose job it is to give people tea to make them happy who finds a robot in the woods and they talk about what it is to be human. It is a book, I think, that has been almost scientifically created in a lab to delight me. I loved it. I love Becky Chambers. I think uh, her Wayfarer series is one of the best bits of sci-fi ever mm -hmm. written. And this is a tiny little, it's not even, a, not, it's not a novel, is it? It's, no, it's, it's a novella. novella. A novella. I was. It, it's even smaller than that. Uh, no, novelletta. <laughs> I'm making up words to show how just, just how small it is. Yeah, just it's enough. Uh, it's really good. Uh, Laura would be able to read it in like thirty minutes. I I did, and then I read the sequel in, in about forty five. Uh, yeah, really, really beautiful. Uh, that is a prayer for the world built by Becky Chambers, and that brings us us to the end of episode one of our ninth season of the Oodcast. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. Gosh, nice to be back though, eh? Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. We'll say we do it again next week. Yes. I'm great totally, idea. I'm totally up for that. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for listening, dear listeners. We are very happy that you are here. And yeah, see you next time. Bye. Bye bye.
space beast came traveling on their ship from afar pursued through the void by battalions of wrath and over a steelworks they halted their craft and rivers parked like a car just like a car they ran from the scene and then hid in a shed in a pile of toys showing naught but their head a mother came over and happily said that they had the face of an angel and were so cute then the mother poked and said oh my god this fur-covered Martian is really quite odd Then soldiers arrived in a loud firing squad And suddenly the brightest lasers Filled the air And we went Sonicking some grouting They made it curbside And got safely away By bundling into a cab A laser-proof cab And just before dawn At the paling of the sky The meep thing turned bad And said, now I must fly and nine million folk on your planet will die To fuel my ascent to the stars London must 